Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm glad you've joined us. Even if you're just tuning in right now and you missed the music, you can always go back and watch that later. Um, or actually, you might want to just go watch the YouTube videos of the actual artists doing the songs that we do. It might be better, but uh, nevertheless, glad you're with us today. And uh, boy, we are living in interesting times, aren't we? where there's a lot of craziness going on around us. These are the, you know, it'll be years from now. Hopefully we'll have the opportunity to talk to our, you know, kids, grandkids, other people, and we'll all want to know what happened. Where were you? What was going on? And I'm going to say I, I was at home. That's, <laughs> that's what happened. Not that remarkable, but interesting times. And, and interesting times when not only are we going through the stuff that we're going through, but that we have a, a, a vast level of exposure to other people who are going through the same things we're going through. And, and there seems to be a lot of disagreement and other things going on around us. And that's part of the reason in this series called Truish, we are going through some of these things Christians say and trying to understand whether they're true or not. Really, the, the underlying theme of this is us as Christians learning how to think properly about the wor world, how to speak properly about the world, how to interact with each other properly in a crazy, crazy, crazy world. And for those of you that might be joining us who would say that you're not a Christian, you haven't made that decision or maybe haven't made that decision yet, I just want you to know that just because you hear something from a Christian doesn't necessarily mean it's true. What we always do is we have to take what we say and what we think, and we hold it up against what we believe is true, and that's God's word. And sometimes we get that right, and sometimes we get that wrong, and sometimes our intentions are good and we get it wrong. And so it's just important for us to look through some of these things that are common Christian things to understand if they're actually based on scripture or if there's something different or even something better that we could understand. And that's what we've been doing in this series. And we've talked about a lot of interesting things uh, in this series. America needs to turn back to God and uh, everything happens for a reason and money is the root of all evil. These are just some of the things that we've covered in this series. Um, and Jess mentioned this in the host comments earlier, but last week's message was money is the root of all evil. And we talked about the fact that money is not evil at all, you know, without re-preaching the message, it's not evil at all. It's our intention and our heart and our desire that's the problem. Money's just a tool. So money actually represents an opportunity for us to serve God. And I heard from a bunch of people last week that said they hadn't thought about it that way before. And then took some tangible steps to be generous and to help um, some individuals. And so it was really cool to see that happen this week. It really is just about reframing our mind because if we... If we just think about the things the way think about things the way is natural for us to think about them or the way everybody around us is thinking about them we're going to get off course because what God intends for us is to transform us from the inside out to transform our hearts and to transform our minds and that means challenging some things that we may have even thought were true or well intentioned even up until now and so uh I just want to kind of give an overview of what we've been doing in this series because we've been doing it. This is week 10 of this series at this point. We've done a bunch of these so far. And, um, and they're, they're a little different every week, but the theme, what we're trying to accomplish week to week has been pretty much the same. And so what I want to do this week is we're going to take a phrase that you've probably heard, and, and I've, I've said a couple times already, you know, sometimes these are well-intentioned phrases. Um, and this is a phrase that we're going to do today that is, I think, well-intentioned. But we're going to look at whether it's true or truish or false. And uh, you already know what it is because you tuned in on YouTube and it's in the title of the video. So there's no, there's no tension being had with the topic for today. And so the phrase that often gets used by Christians is the phrase, 
it's not my place to judge. And like I said, so with everything going on around us and so many different people's opinions and, and behaviors and lifestyles and choices, everything is all around us. Uh, you know, one of the tendencies we might have is to say, well, you know, they can do what they want. It's not my place to judge. And, and this is, I think, well-intentioned. It is, it is a, a, a pushback on the perception that often gets put on Christians of being judgmental that Christians are judgmental, they walk around saying this person, oh, they're a sinner or they're whatever, and, and, and kind of standing on your pedestal as a Christian. It happens, it happens and it's very easy to do. Um, and so the pushback then becomes, well, it's not my place to judge. Well, is that true? Is it false? It's basically, it's the idea, you know, I'm just going to stay out of it. <laughs> you do you. You do you. I'll do me. I mean, this is, the, this is the mentality I take when I go to East Coast Wings and somebody orders a salad. <laughs> you know, you do you, whatever. It's not my place to judge. Well, really, what's happening, by the way? I'm judging you. I am. You can, you, I mean, at least, even if you get a burger, that's, that's better. You can't get a Don't do that. All right? They're like, well, it's a buffalo chicken salad. No, no, no. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. All right, no greens. No greens when you go to East Coast Wings. But anyway, is it true? It's not my place to judge. Um, well, I guess when you go to East Coast Wings again, <laughs> I'm assuming you could probably eat there now, right? Haven't been back, but I got to move on. Jess is doing this. Like, let's keep this rolling. Okay. All right. So where does that, where does this idea, it's not my place to judge, where does this come from? Well, there's a, there's a place where Jesus says something very similar to that. It's in Matthew chapter seven, very first verse of the, uh, of the chapter, Matthew chapter seven, verse one, Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. Or maybe you've heard it say, judge not lest you be judged. That's King James, I think. All right. Judge not that you not be judged. And people say, see, it's not my job to judge. <laughs> Jesus said, it's not my job to judge. Well, is that what he's saying? Or, well, let's, we're going to look bigger. So let's think about the context of when Jesus says, judge not that ye not be judged, or that you not be judged. I slipped into the King James there again, that ye not be judged. Um, judge not that you not be judged. So Matthew chapter 7 is right on the tail end of something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus has a group of people. This is early on in his ministry. And he has this group of people that he's teaching. His disciples are among them, and there's a bunch of people that are likely there. And you can see as you go throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that one of the overarching principles that Jesus is trying to get people to understand is that their religious leaders who are currently in place, they're called the Pharisees, that they are not living out their faith the way that they're supposed to. That they have become prideful, that they've become arrogant, that they have put themselves up on this spiritual pedestal above other people, and that they should not be doing that that they're prideful. So, so as you look throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you see themes emerge and you see all of these different examples of applying the same thing. So for example, Jesus says, um, when you pray, you shouldn't be like them. You shouldn't go into the temple and pray loud, flowery, ornate prayers because all you're doing is you're only praying so everyone will hear you pray and will think that you're spiritual, will judge you as spiritual. Instead, you should go into the corner and you should pray to God and, and ask him for you know, forgiveness and you should be genuine and humble about it. He talks about giving. 
money. He he says, you know, don't go don't go giving so that everybody can see how big a check you wrote, so you can get your name in the paper, so that you can get your your name on the side of the building. You know, don't don't do that. Just give. What's, so what's done in secret will be rewarded by your Father in heaven. He's saying there's purity and not being so concerned about what everyone around you is assessing about you spiritually. But the Pharisees are all wrapped up in this. He, he brings in the uh, application of fasting as well. He says, when you fast, don't, don't, look, don't look tired and sick and worn down so that as you walk around, people will ask you what's wrong and you'll be like, I'm fasting because I'm so spiritual. Like, <laughs> don't do that. He's like, do your, do your face, man. Put your face on. Wash your hair. You know, walk around. Just They don't need to know you're fasting because you're not doing it for them, right? See, the problem is that the Pharisees are doing all this. It's all, it's all for show. It's all for show. And so when he talks about judging here, he wants people to see, all these people that are listening, he wants them to contrast him with the Pharisees, but he wants them to see that the Pharisees are pronouncing incorrect judgments on people, that they're just assessing people based on what's on the outside, not based on what's on the inside. And so that's at the heart of what he's talking about. He's talking about the assessments we make about each other. Now, when he's talking about judging, he's not talking about salvation because ultimately we know God is the judge. God determines who is in heaven and who is not. And we know that he's determined that that will be through his son. So salvation is judged based on your response to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus as your savior, then you are judged righteous along with him. And if you don't believe in Jesus as your savior, you are judged sinful and will be separated from God. God is the judge and God is watching our lives right now and determining how much reward we're gonna have when we get to heaven. He's assessing all of that and he's able to judge it down to the heart level, (laughs) which we can't do, right? So, So God ultimately is the judge, but that's not the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the assessments we make about people around us, whether they're righteous or whether they're sinful, all of those kinds of things, and the problem of the Pharisees. So uh, he's saying that we shouldn't be judgmental. Now, the, the, uh, the church, as I mentioned earlier, has a reputation of being judgmental of looking at the outside of somebody, the way that they dress or the way they talk or the way that they look uh, or looking at the way that they behave or other things and making judgments about them as people, making judgments about their value based on what's on the outside. We have a, 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 a stigma around us as Christians. Now, I'm incredibly thankful because I don't think that's the case with Carolina Family Church. At least in my estimation, that is not the case. And you do a great job of not playing into that stereotype of the Christian. And so I'm thankful not only that you are doing that, but I'm thankful to be associated with you because when someone comes to be a part of our church, uh, we do not want them to feel that they are being judged by us in that way. Okay? And, uh, but Jesus is dealing with an environment where that is very much the case. And so let's broaden out and read a few more verses. Um, from what Jesus said. After he says this, let's look at verse 1 and go down through verse 5. He gives an example of what he's talking about. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this judgment, he's talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about walking around and saying, look at you, you're such a sinner. When we should be looking back at ourselves and saying, look at me, I'm such a sinner. He gives the example of the plank and the speck, or it's like a piece of sawdust and a two by four. You know, if you, how could you say to your brother, let me, let me help you with that. You know, you see a little piece of sawdust in their eye when you have a two by four sticking out of your face. Jesus is the king of hyperbole. It's one of his favorite, the exaggeration. He loves using it all over scripture. You see it a lot. And this is one where he uses that. He's like, how could you do that? You got a, you have a board sticking out of your face. You know, take care of you first. Fix this first before you go around judging someone else. And, and there's a really interesting principle that he uses here. And this is a, I want to give you a visual analogy for this. I actually learned this from a, a pastor that I used to uh, serve with. And um, says Jesus says, you better be careful walking around judging people because with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you really want to do that? Are you prepared for that? Now, he knows the, he knows the Pharisees are not prepared for that. All right. Basically, he's saying if you walk around and you've got this little teaspoon and you walk around doling out teaspoons of judgment on people, well, they're going to use a teaspoon of judgment back on you. But if you walk around with a bucket of judgment (laughs) and you're just you're dumping judgment onto people's heads, look out because guess what's coming? Ice bucket challenge is coming, right? If you go around using a bucket of judgment, they're going to use a bucket of judgment back on you. And this is a warning to the Pharisees because the Pharisees are walking around with five-gallon pails. Okay, they're walking around, pointing out everybody's problems, pointing out how they're breaking the law, acting like they don't at all. But the truth is, Jesus knows the deal with the Pharisees. He talked about it all the time. He called them blind guides. He said, you're you're walking people around, you can't even see. He he told them, he said, you guys, you strain out a gnat. So I'm going to make sure that there's not this little tiny bug in the the ceremonial drink. I'll pull that out to make sure that I'm perfectly whole so that it's not defiled or whatever. He said, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He called them dirty dishes. <laughs> he, he called them vessels that looked clean on the outside, but the inside is revolting. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. They're walking around throwing judgment on people when they themselves were corrupt and prideful and sinful and all of those things on the inside. And they may have played a good game for everybody and followed all the rules, but Jesus knew that their hearts were not consistent with what was on the outside. And the people could see that. But they didn't have a champion or anybody to come in and point it out and say it as loudly and boldly as Jesus said it. He said, what is wrong with you? You've got a plank in your own eye and you're pointing out everybody else's speck. It's, it's hypocrisy. It's, um, Jess put it this way. I said, what's a word for this? What's a word for this? She said, it's like they're nose blind. Nose blind judgment. You've seen that there's a commercial on TV where it says somebody's gone nose blind. It's basically where there's a, there's a foul odor and you just get used to it and you ignore it. 
with our kids, it's their blankets. They have these blankets. Jess is making a face right now. They, they don't. We wash them, and they smell great for a day. And then they take on this, like some of you know, right? They take on this life of their own. And at some point, your kid comes to cuddle up on you, and they've got their blanket, and they're like, you're like, you can stay. That's got to go. And, the, and they're like, no, it smells great. It smells so good. Yeah, they're nose blind, right? The Pharisees were nose blind. They had all of this sin, but they'd gotten so accustomed to it and had gotten so used to burying it and hiding it that they didn't think anybody was going to see it. But they're walking around doling out buckets of judgment. And Jesus is like, you don't want that because a bucket of judgment back on you is not going to reflect well, all right? So don't go around pronouncing judgment on everyone else when you yourself are filled with sin. Don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees were. Here's my advice to you today. Don't do that. That's as simple. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Let's not do that. Go around just pronouncing judgment on everybody because somehow pronouncing judgment on other people, putting other people down makes us feel like we've been lifted up. That somehow if we can put someone else in our place, it secures another place for us. That somehow by judging other people, it makes them more wrong and us more right. It's not the way that it works. And you don't want to do that because if you go around pronouncing judgment on people, they will then pronounce judgment on you and it's not going to be pretty the same way it would not be pretty for me. But, so you, so you get to the conclusion of that, and you might say, well, okay, then, it's not my place to judge. But that's not where Jesus stops when he teaches this. He starts to turn the corner, even what we already read. He said, this is back in verse 5, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he's not saying that we shouldn't participate in clearing the speck out of our brother's eye. If you look at somebody's eye and they have a splinter in it, you should help them. But you can't help them if you have a two-by-four coming out of your face. <laughs> so there's a process. There's something that needs to happen. See, there's a, there's a significant difference between judging someone out of pride and judging someone or making a judgment in love. Those are different things. And I think from experience, you probably already know that they're different things. He doesn't say that we're not supposed to make judgments about people, because if we don't make judgments, we don't know what's going on in someone's heart. We can't. If we don't make some judgments about people and what's going on in their life and how they're talking and what their behavior is or whatever, then we can't help people then we'll just become this thing that exists that doesn't change anything. Then we'll just be a friend who talks about this or that, but we don't ever actually help each other move forward in discipleship. That we, we have to be able to see the specs, but we have to keep things in the right priority and the right order. They need to be done in love and in humility, not in arrogance and pride, like they were seen with the Pharisees. And so he continues, of course, and even though in the Sermon on the Mount, it feels like there are some like pocket teachings or separate teachings, there is an overall theme that Jesus is going for, okay? And the very next thing he says is really interesting and a little confusing at the surface, but it makes sense when you, when you think about it for a moment. Starting in verse 6, 
Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, what's he just been talking about? He's been talking about the Pharisees and their judgment, right? And their hypocrisy. Hypocrites. And Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites often. He calls them a brood of vipers. He, hypocrite is probably his favorite nickname for the, for the Pharisees. All right? And he's looking at these people and he's saying, okay, don't give to what is holy to, do, to the dogs, and nor cast your pearls before a swine. Dogs and pigs were both uh, really gross animals you would stay away from for, for religious reasons, but also just cultural reasons. Dogs and swine, if you were going to insult somebody, those are the words that you would use. And so Jesus is saying, don't, so, so you've got these Pharisees who are walking around acting all holy with planks sticking out of their eyes and they're trying to help you with your specs. Don't waste your time with them. Don't waste your time with these judgmental people who are just who are arrogant and just trying to put you down and put you in your place. Because if you waste your time with them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn around and devour you. So don't do it. So obviously, he's telling them, you don't trust them. They can't they can't be trusted to pronounce judgment on you and or to 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 even help you because they're not trying to be helpful. And so don't waste your time with them. Don't waste your time with them. And then he says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And him to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if he son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Well, now, what is this verse about? Here's another one that often gets plucked right up out of the context and used, you know, just ask and you will find, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. Hallelujah. Isn't that a song? Knock and the door shall... I can't sing it right now. It's an old song, right? Knock, ask, seek, and you will find God knows how to give good gifts to his children. And people will say, well, God is a good father and he will give you the gifts. He will give you the desires of your heart. He's, we wouldn't give you a stone if you asked for bread. He wouldn't give you a serpent if you asked for a fish. And so what does that mean? It means I can ask God for a jet ski. Yeah. Because God knows how to give good gifts to the people that he loves. Is God talk? Is Jesus talking about a jet ski? <laughs> no, he's not talking about a jet ski. Look at the context. You see, I need help getting the speck out of my eye. I need help to root out and remove sin in my life. The Pharisees couldn't be trusted to help me with that because they're they're prideful and they're trying to judge me and they're doing it out of a place of of evil and out of a place of of anger or pride or whatever. And so they can't be trusted. But Jesus says, so don't, don't you know, cast your pearls before those swine or, or give the, what is holy to those dogs. They're going to turn around and bite you. No, no, no. But God will give you what is good. And so what is Jesus talking about when he says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock, it'll be open to you. God it will give you so much more good things to those who ask him. He will give us help to pursue righteousness. He will give us wisdom to choose holiness so that we can heal and get better 
so that we can become more like his son. And if that's what you want, then we need to trust God to help us to do that. Who is the only one who can handle a bucket of judgment? Who is the only one walking around without a two by four sticking out of their face? Jesus is. Jesus is saying they can't be trusted, but I can. I can. And I can help you get that plank out of your eye so that you can go and help your brother with the speck that's in his because this is a team thing that's happening in love. So, but don't, don't buy into all the judgmentalism and all of this kind of stuff. Jesus said, therefore, whatever, okay? Therefore, verse 12, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Therefore, the golden rule, because of God giving good gifts, okay? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says elsewhere that the entire law and prophets hang on two things, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So what's he saying? He's saying this process of removing specks and planks and all of that, this is a process of love. It's a process of fellowship. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is about fellowship with God. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's about fellowship with your neighbor. But this is all supposed to work together toward that end. Not towards putting people down or putting them in their place. But that in fact, we are to make judgments. We're to make judgments about ourselves, and we're supposed to make judgments about the people that we love so we can help them, not so we can put them down or put them in their place. So he says, whatever you want men to do for you, do that for them. How would you want someone to do this for you? Would I want someone to walk up to me and point out my sin when they have this great big massive sin in their life that is, especially if it's of the same kind, Somebody who's incredibly prideful and arrogant and, and or materialistic and they come to me and they say, you know, you got too much stuff. Like, do I want to hear? No, of course not. That's not a very loving thing to do. And when it's done, it's, it's rarely done in your best interest. What do I want people to do for me? Well, I do want people's help. I do want people to point out the problems that are in my life because a lot of times I'm blind to them. The speck is in the corner of my eye and I can't see it. I don't even know that it's there. And so I need people to point these things out for me or I'm never going to get better or I'm never going to grow and I'm never going to change. And I have to have the humility to accept that when it comes. But when that comes, I want it to be done in love. Same way you do. If someone came to me angry, critical, casting you know, accusations at me, I'm not listening. I'm not interested in that kind of criticism from somebody who's going to do it in an angry way or a hateful way or, or a way that's clearly they're trying to elevate their self-interest over my own. I don't want that kind of help. I want someone to come to me and tell me in love what my issue is or what they perceive my issue to be. And we can assess whether it is or isn't. And I want it to come from somebody who's, who's most likely struggled with that same thing, dealt with that same thing, and that's why they see it. That's what I want. And so, and that's the way also that I want God to deal with me. How do you want God to deal with your sin? 
Do you want him to come with a lightning bolt? Do you want him to come and just and, and to, to smack you across the face? Or would you rather that God points this out to you in love, points it out to you, and we understand at the same time that Jesus, who is our high priest, who died on the cross for us in our place, that Jesus was tempted every way that we're tempted. He was a human being. That we don't have a high priest who's unable to, uh, to empathize with us or sympathize with us. He understands. He, he gets it. He's been here. He's dealt with these things. And I would rather have him come to me in love and say, okay, I forgive you for this, but this is something that we need to work on. Then with judgment and wrath and all of that. That's the same way I want a person to come to me. So if that's the way that I want other people to deal with me, that's the way that I want God to deal with me, then that is the way that I should deal with the people that I love. So, you just imagine what you would want if the tables were turned. And so a couple things we need to do in order to think about this correctly. First, I have to check myself for hypocrisy. You need to check yourself for hypocrisy. To see if there are areas in our life where we're really upset or where we see sin in someone else, whether that's somebody who's close to us or far away, near, or whatever. Am I actually dealing with the same thing? I'll tell you that in my experience, when somebody is really hypersensitive or or sensitive to a particular sin, it is for one of two reasons. Either they have been victimized by that sin, and so they become very attentive to it and see it in other people, or they themselves deal with it, and so they then transfer and see it in other people, even when it's not there. And that happens a lot. And so anytime that I find myself frustrated with someone else's behavior or their sin, I need to look back at myself and I need to say, Why am I so upset about this? Why do I see this? Why do I notice it? It may be because I've been victimized by it. It may be because I myself deal with it. So the first step is to to reflect because I don't want to be the person with the plank coming out of their eye going to someone else about their sawdust. So that is humility, and that's what we need to do. I need God's help in order to do that, in order to see that. It's one of the ways, one of the good gifts that God gives to us is the Spirit. And the Spirit will help to highlight those things in our life. So we need to see them. And we need to deal with them first before we go talk to someone else about their sin or their behavior. And then second, so first I check myself for hypocrisy. And second, I help others with love. I help others with love. This makes all the difference in the world when we approach someone, and you know it because you've probably experienced both sides of this as I have. It's not, let's go back to our phrase, it's not my place to judge. Is that true? No, not really. I mean, yes, in the eternal sense, <laughs> I, I don't decide who goes to heaven and, and who doesn't, who's in the kingdom and who isn't, or how much reward somebody gets. I know I, that's not my job. But it is my job as a Christian to make judgments about the people that are around me Because that's part of fellowship and growth. I have to be able to look and be like, you know, I think there's there's an issue over here that we need to talk about. And be willing to have that conversation and to do it in love and to look at myself first, but then to have that conversation with the person. It's one of the key differences between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, Jesus never had to worry about the plank in his eye (laughs) because he didn't have one. But Jesus was not shy about 
making judgments about people. Talk, I mean, the Pharisees, for one, <laughs> he, was, he was obviously very direct about his judgment of them. Uh, he, did, he dealt with people all the time that he judged, either positively or negatively or whatever. We have to make judgments. That's part of life. You know, that's, and it's essential to us all growing together and being a team. But Jesus said, I came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. You know, his job wasn't to pronounce the sentence. His, his job wasn't to, to do all that yet, you know. It was to help, to save, to serve. And that should be our attitude as well. Discipleship requires judgment of sin, identification of sin, in order to move forward both in ourselves and other people. And Jesus came, and he said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. And I want to have life to the full. And life to the full means not only accepting his gift of salvation on the cross and in the resurrection, but it also means choosing to live like him the rest of my life, because that's where real life happens. And in order to do that, I have to identify, I have to judge sin in my life, and I need other people to do it. And I want you to have a full life as well. I want my family to have a full life. I want my friends to have a full life. And in order to do that, I need to help and I need to make some judgments. But I have to make sure that they're coming from the right place. And you also need to make sure that they're coming from the right place. So I just want to ask, and this is a question I'm asking myself even as I go over this and continue to read and study How much do I pursue holiness? How much do I pursue holiness? How concerned am I with the condition of my own eyes? <laughs> How concerned am I with whether I have a speck or a plank? How concerned am I with being as much like Jesus as I can be? And if my level of concern is high enough and I'm making progress there, and I made a, a couple of decisions this week where I was like, I was actually telling Jess Marie about this the other night. I was watching a show and I got into the middle of the show and I was like, I'm not going to watch the rest of this. I'm just going to turn it off. This is, I, I, this is going to do nothing good for me. This is not going to help me in any way. And, and I turned it off. And it's, little, it's often little decisions like that. But how concerned am I with my own holiness? And then... When I say, yes, I am concerned with that, and I am asking God to help me with it, knowing that I'm never going to have totally clear eyes. I'm a human being. I'm sinful. But I just I want to work on that as much as I can. Then how much do I love the people around me? Am I concerned about their holiness the same way I'm concerned about my own? Am I willing in humility and love to help take this, this speck out of someone else's eye? And yes, the, the, does that require making a judgment? It does. But am I willing to do that out of the love that I have for them and to approach it then in a loving way? And so I'm asking myself all those questions and I want to encourage you to ask yourself the same questions. And if we ask them, answer them honestly and make the commitments that God wants us to make, then not only are we going to grow closer to him in Christ, but we're going to grow closer to one another as well. And Jesus said that's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So it does require this together. And so I'm looking in first, and I want to encourage you to look in first, and then we think about how God wants to use us with the people around us. 
So let's go to him now, ask him to, to give us clarity on ourselves and our own heart and what we need to work on, and then to point us outward. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love and your kindness, uh, that in your mercy, your grace, like we talked about during the music today, uh, your amazing grace you did for me and for everyone watching who would receive it, uh, the most incredible thing. You sent your son, Jesus, you lived without sin, and gave your life on the cross, paying for ours, and you rose again on the third day. And we know that we can be saved simply by believing in the sacrifice that you made, trusting you for salvation. And so we are thankful for that today. And anybody who's participating in this video, watching this video, uh, can make that decision right now and become a chi your child by believing and trusting in Jesus for salvation. And Jesus, you know, you understand because you were here. You understand the, the pressures and the temptations that we have. We have this human sinful nature where we want to be on top. We want to be number one. We want to be respected and revered. We want to be looked at as this thing or that thing. And you know, you observed, you pointed out that what's on the outside doesn't necessarily match what's on the inside, and we know that's true for us. And as we walk through life, we want to become increasingly consistent. We want to be, our life to be honoring to you, and we want to help other people. So we need you to, to work on us first. And so I ask you through the leading of your spirit right now to show each of us what the sins are that are in our life that need the most attention right now. They could be a lot of different things. Show us what that is and help us to understand how to walk forward fighting against that sin and choosing holiness instead. And then God, show us the people around us as we deal with those things and as we work on ourself and our own condition. Show us the people that you want us to help and how to approach them in love, in a way that expresses care, that we would, that we would be dealing uh, with people who are receptive. You know, Jesus, the way you talked about the Pharisees, pointed, proved they weren't very receptive. They weren't going to receive it even if they, you corrected them. They would turn around and bite. And, and so show us who the right people are to talk to, to help, that will be receptive, that we can come to in love, and that we together can move forward in discipleship and grow closer and closer to you. That's what we want. Thank you. And I just want to thank you, Lord, as you lead us, guide us, as you make changes in our life. We know there are changes for the better, that we could experience life and life to the full. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.